welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod, a podcast all about the Camden Fringe. Keep listening for a glimpse behind the curtains and to find out how you can get involved in, you guessed it, the Camden Fringe. Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Zena. And welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Camden Fringe Pod. It's a very, very special episode. Tell them why. Well, it's not much to do with the Camden Fringe at all, making Mm -hmm. it particularly exciting. Um, But we are speaking to a living legend, a comedy great, a showbiz behemoth. A a famous turn. Who is it? It's none other than... Uh, lovely, lovely, funny, brilliant Bernie Clifton, who we worked with many years ago and and we had such a gorgeous time working with him because he's so bloody funny. And he's got a book out. What's it called? It's called Crackerjack to Vegas. He's had an incredible career. We only really touch on a tiny bit of it, but hopefully you will enjoy some of his stories. And if you've never heard of him because you're very young, look him up. Yeah, if you're of a certain age, he's the man who used to ride round on the back of an ostrich. And so much more. So, Oh, so much more. Um, there's also, I was talking to a young person the other day saying that we spoke to Bernie Clifton and she was like, oh, yeah, I just watched the uh, Inside Number 9 episode, Bernie Clifton's Dressing Room. And weirdly, on the same day that we talked to Bernie and he said, oh, say hello to Robin Ince, I bumped into Robin Ince that evening. Enjoy the episode and we'll be back with sort of Candom Fringe news probably in the new year when we start taking applications. Mm -hmm. Merry Christmas. Here's your present. Merry Christmas and um, buy Bernie's book if you're interested. You should be. do it. Hello, Bernie Clifton. The legend. Well, at least you got my name right. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good start. It's great to catch up. Great to catch up. It's been years and years and years since we spoke. And and when you took me to Edinburgh and left me there... (laughs) It was a life-changing experience, as I'm sure this conversation will be. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we we met you in 2006, didn't we? And we approached you and said, would you like to come and do the Edinburgh Festival? You actually approached me and said, what are you doing in the ladies? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's these new glasses, sir. <laughs> But that was then, and um, I'm much better these days. Yeah, um, it was it so long ago. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's been a really long time. Yeah, but still, we haven't taken a show to Edinburgh since then, have we? We haven't. We couldn't talk. I think you you broke us, Bernie. (laughs) (laughs) I do have that effect. (laughs) It was going so well, and then Clifton got on board. And it was all hands to the pump. And we thought, well, let's not bother doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> so you, we put you in the underbelly, in the giant upside-down purple cow. You did, you indeed. Brought, you brought with you a giant sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everyone how big your sausage was, Bernie. <laughs> it's, it's much better. 
it's much better hearing someone else say it. <laughs> and, and your honour, he brought with him a giant sausage. <laughs> Which we weren't expecting. <laughs> Neither was Edinburgh. <laughs> no. And um, Robin Ince was your warm-up. Oh, bless Robin Ince, yeah. Yeah. He took, and... a chance. He took a chance, didn't he? <laughs> he did. And I remember you teaching him um, about how to goose somebody. No, no, I'm sorry. We we have to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you're mix. I'm sure you're mixing me up with another a surreal comic. Comic. I I taught Robin Inns how to goose somebody. Is that <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Is that the final countdown on my gravestone? <laughs> he wasn't bad. He taught Robin to goose people. <laughs> No, I really, really remember it because you did a thing where, and I'd never heard the term goosing someone before, but you were stood there and then you got Rob. No, Robin was stood there talking and you said to him, just keep talking. I'm going to come up behind you and I'm going to goose you. (laughs) And you were, I think you were on Oswald. Yeah, you must have been on Oswald. Yeah, listening to Robin these days with Professor Brian Cox, I can imagine him thinking all the time, oh, I wish I was back in the old days being goosed. <laughs> <laughs> to think it's come to this. A few years ago, I was being I was being an expert in the art of being goosed, and now I'm stuck with this astronomy bloke. Yeah, this chancer. <laughs> I'll definitely I'll remind him about that when I see him, <laughs> if I ever see him. Oh, I'm sure you will. I did, I did tell him that we would be speaking to you today. He said he's looking forward to listening. Give him my very best, will you? Well, you've just done it because he will have heard t- you say yes, that. Yes, but tell him. I want, I want Robin to know that there is still an opportunity. In my in my busy workload, I can still squeeze him in for <laughs> another course of goosing lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if that doesn't get his head out the stars and down to earth, nothing will. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to take you upon it. Um, no, so we're speaking to you specifically um, because you've got a book out. Oh gosh, what what are those things behind me? When I, when I laid my kitchen out this morning, thinking it was a Zoom call, <laughs> I, I've got like hundreds of copies of my book. From Crackerjack to Vegas, all laid out. Crackerjack. Sorry, I was a bit slow there. Yeah. Yeah. You're just a few seconds late. All laid out behind me artistically in perfect symmetry to be told, oh, this is voice only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, This book, I'll say CJ now instead of the word. (laughs) CJ to Vegas. It took me about 14 years to write. And wow. uh, finally, finally, uh, it, it, uh, we launched it yesterday in a, uh, in a phone box in Chesterfield. <laughs> 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 but we didn't want to give the impression, you know, that there was any lack of interest. So we, we, chose, we chose a venue 
that we, that we just hold two or three people. Uh, we, no, we launched it yesterday at the Chesterfield Football Club. And uh, the, unfortunately, we couldn't get in the building. We just did it on the pitch. <laughs> and it was great, apart from that, when they, when they, every time they took a corner, we had to duck our heads. <laughs> <laughs> but it's out, it's out now, folks. It, they're all behind me in the kitchen. <laughs> Come and get me. Uh, the experience, the whole experience was kind of cathartic. I don't know what that means, but it sounds as if I'm uh, sort of a, a literary person. And because yeah. um, it, it took, I can't believe it's actually out now rather than uh, being a figment of my uh, imagination. So it, it, it's, I mean, I mean, believe it or not, I'm 87 wait for the response you're not no you're not no but having begged that moves <laughs> on quickly <laughs> so it's, it's 60 70 years of hacking about and as a as a boy singer and uh my real name as a boy singer my, i was called uh, bernie quinn that's my family name bernie quinn and i went to a a, a club in South Yorkshire, when I was about 20, to find I was billed as exotic dancer Burma Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt the time had come. So I went home and got the phone book out and looked for a, bit, a different surname. I came, up with the, I came up with Clifton. And my dad was not best pleased. Danny Quinn. So, uh, and from then, it just uh, it was just like a series, like a series of failures, I suppose, <laughs> just bumming along from. And then I, I met um, I met Les Dawson on a TV show, and he said, "Why don't you just find your own path, find your own route? Don't copy, don't never mind what you, what else you're doing." So, I mean, I, because I, the one of the I, I use the word copy when I was. 14, I was accused of copying by our headmaster, who accused me of copying off my next, the, the following in the next desk, Arthur Cunningham. And he said, You're copying off Arthur Cunningham. I said, No, sir. He said, Question one, he's put yes, you've put yes. And I said, It's a coincidence. And he said, Question two, Cunningham's put no, you've put no. I said, It's a coincidence, sir. He said, Question three, Cunningham's put, don't know, and you've put, neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Les Dawson put me right. He said, what do you like? I said, well, I do like visual comedy. I love the Marx Brothers and I love prop. He said, well, why don't you go out and become a prop comic? Just because nobody else can be bothered to do it, just go. So I did actually. I went out and I, be, I became obsessed with visual comedy. You know, I had a I had a lion skin. I had these biscuit tins. I danced in. I got this like huge sausage, <laughs> inflatable. So I had a, a large inflatable diving suit, and in the middle of all that, the. Um, the ostrich came along, and I got this ostrich built. Didn't think any more about it, and it it actually proved to take over my life. It's not why it's not what I intended. I won't, 
I wanted to be a singer. <laughs> I got drawn down, inexorably down this slippery slope. And, and, and look at me now, three back operations later, it's, it's been an interesting ride. Wow. So riding on the ostrich the whole time has made you need three back operations. <laughs> I gave my all. I gave my all for my art. Wow. Yeah. But now, but you wouldn't know that wow. to look at me because mainly I, I'm, I'm, I sit down most of the time. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Well, you look, you look pretty upright. I'm okay. Good. I've been very fortunate, actually, in terms of a, a few incidents, but that's what you get. But in terms of uh, longevity, I've, I've still got, um, I've still got a bit of wherewithal, and uh, I'm, and I'm grateful mm-hmm. for it. You've got a lot of wherewithal, I'd say. Yeah. So in in your book, um, well, I, I haven't read it yet. I've ordered. I've it. also I'm ordered it. Reading it, but you. Wow. There's, um... So you're the two. <laughs> they said there were two. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think I'd meet them both. <laughs> yeah. This is your um your fan club annual general meeting. You talk about your practical jokes, and that was one thing that we um got to know a bit about when we spent a few days with you in Edinburgh. That you love practical jokes and. I think we can both quite honestly say we've never spent as much time laughing ever in our lives as when, um, you know, you got us to tape up Christine and Neil Hamilton (laughs) whilst they were on stage. You taped up everybody in the Pleasance Courtyard. You taped up a car park. Wow, I'd I'd forgotten the tape. There was lots and lots and lots of tape. (laughs) I went on to... uh, they said warehouse parcel tape are us and I bought their entire stock. (laughs) Do you think we can do it justice by, by, by explaining what that's all about? I'll try. I'll try. So what I did, I've got this, this belt around my waist and round the back of the belt was a a, a roll of parcel tape. And I remember now, (laughs) I gave you the end of the parcel tape to, and stand still holding that. And then I set off with the pot tape gradually unrolling itself. And I'm off on this tour going round in yeah. circles and, and, and at the end of the route. And it's about 50 yards worth, about 50 metres worth of tape. The whole courtyard was full of people going, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten all that, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what I do remember. There was an American in the Pleasance Courtyard, and I'm touring the courtyard with um, parcel tape emanating from from below my the back of my jacket. And the guy stopped me and said, hey, is this art? <laughs> <laughs> but we also, we, we snuck into Neil and Christine Hamilton's show and you made me crouch on the floor by the stage holding tape whilst you went on. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, and you taped them together. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did it at um, Mark Watson's 24-hour show as well, did we? Mark Watson 24-hour Oh, yeah. We... And then after we came to see you in pantomime, you did it in a car park. Wow. One of the best things I did, I, in, I, I put the roll around my, the tow bar, the ball of my tow bar on my car, and tied the other end to a, a lamppost. 
and then went round the block in Blackpool <laughs> <laughs> with this with this tape on rolling from the back of my car. Oh gosh, do you know I'm, it's it's brilliant because I'd totally forgotten um, about that aspect. But it was all about it was all about practical jokes, and it's it's always been the same. Going back to um, going back to my days in St Helens on as a as a, a failed plumber. I was actually in a in a workshop, and we had a a guy from Liverpool who used to turn up every day uh, on a push bike. It's about twelve fifteen miles each way, but because he used his bike, he was saving the his daily travel allowance. So he used to leave his bike in the workshop with us while he went out on the building site doing his plumbing and his gas fitting, and we used to take his bike apart. And fill all the tubes with sheet lead. <laughs> so, and we we didn't do it overnight. We just did a bit at a time. So, at the end of about a fortnight, he was pedalling backwards and forwards to Liverpool, about twenty-five mile round trip, with about ten kilos of lead. <laughs> he, did, he didn't know he got. I think once the bike fell over. And it took four people to get it upright, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That was that was part of my. Uh, it was in my psyche playing these jokes. It was all about. I can't imagine anybody ever got any work done back in the day. <laughs> we, were, we were just we were just messing about all all day, all all week long. And I've I think I've kept that nonsense with me. Happy to say. Um, to the present day, I'm always I'm always up for a, a jape, as we say. So, how did you go from being a singer to a comedian? Were you doing because, like Billy Connolly, was a folk singer, wasn't he? And then he realised that yeah. he was enjoying the patter between the songs more than the songs. Were you kind of doing silly things on stage while you were singing? Not particularly. No, not to start with. I found out I got a singing voice because, as a as a apprentice plumber. I was working in uh, in bathrooms, so the acoustics were perfect. But when it came to actually standing on stage, I was just gripped with with terror. I was actually um, I got a job with uh, in the local dance hall singing with a band, and uh, and when it came to singing, I was kind of um, I was a man apart. I was it was like a split personality, and. Um, but at the same the same time, the other side of me uh, that that gradually surfaced, it became clear that it was it was kind of manic and visual and mad humour, like I've described with the with the bike and mm. in the in the same dance hall. Having got this this um, job singing with the band, it, it it wasn't enough for me. So what we used to do, I used to we used to uh, pinch the um, the doorman's bike. He used to keep he used to keep his bike under the stairs in the dance hall. And in the last waltz, when all the the normal teenagers were looking out to see who they could catch to dance with, I was riding around the dance floor on the doorman's bike. <laughs> <laughs> and people people tuned into that. People used to say, What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do this week? What are you gonna do next week? And it became it became half the the other half of me, but it took a long time to actually merge the two. You know, my singing voice and then the nonsense, and to get it into to become some kind of a 
a turn, as we were called then. It was Burn comedy, the turn. comedy and song, you know. Burn the turn, yeah. So it took, it was a it was it was quite a difficult transition, all based on fear, because I was I was afraid uh, for a, you know for a lot. You were afraid of uh, of dying on stage, so that was my way through it, I suppose. And um, in in your book, do you also um, talk about your being a pilot without a license? <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, we were out looking. I think it was about 1980, and looking at a an old barn that was that was up that was up for sale. Me and the wife and the kids, and we heard this sort of, and I thought somebody's coming down the road on a lawnmower, and it was it was it was coming down the road, but it it, it was flying down the road. This guy, about 30 40 feet high, on what looked like a lawnmower, uh, <laughs> suspended under a pair of wings, and of course it was the early. Microlight aeroplane, and um, I suddenly thought, Oh, I won't, I must get one of those. <laughs> so I went ultimately found myself at a, at a flying school. Uh, but the, the problem with the flying school in those days for microlights was that there weren't any dual seaters, there were only single seaters. So to teach you to fly, they towed you down a runway behind a car. Just to get the idea, and then they, wow. they, I remember one morning they said, "Okay, we're all going solo today." And I thought, well, obviously, they don't, they can't mean me. The next thing, I found myself sitting in an aeroplane that I'd never flown before on my own, and with somebody said, "Well, you, you'll be fine. Just off you." And I, I'm, I'm five hundred, <laughs> I'm five hundred feet. In in low cloud, looking at these cows that were looking up at me, thinking. <laughs> Mother, let's shelter <laughs> with no idea. And it was like, it was the weirdest thing. However, we got away with it. And, and, but the funny thing is, the ab, it was like abject terror to be up there. And I remember praying and saying, if you just let me off this time, I'll never do anything silly again. But of course, <laughs> it's, it's, it's obsessive once you land the feeling of um, it's it's like nothing else to to be flying solo, and ultimately it became heavily uh, regimented. You know, you need to be you needed a license, etc., and insurance. But back in the day, you didn't. But to be up there flying in the open air, if you like, solo, it's like nothing else. Uh, balancing the fear with the exhilaration, and um, maybe I'm that kind of a person maybe I, I am kind of obsessive but i know that um it, it's an experience that i'll never forget you've you've retired the microlight now oh, but, yeah but can i tell you what as a as a just to having having got a, a microlight and not learned to fly it i did i did no more than ring the daily mirror and said hello it's me you know the man on the on the on the chicken i've got i've got one that fly <laughs> I've got one that flies. It's called the Flying Ostrich. So they sent a photographer down to Lowestoft where I'd got this aeroplane in a field, uh, a guy called Michael Maloney. And uh, he said, right, let's take some photographs. Uh, are you ready to go up? I said, oh, I can't. I can't fly it. I've only just bought it. He said, oh. <laughs> he said you what do you mean? You dragged me down from London to Lowestoft. 
and you can't fly it. He said, I need to see you in the air. What's, he said, I'll tell you what then. Get, he said, get in the ostrich. So I got in the ostrich. In the, and then he said, can you get in the aeroplane now? So I found myself being um, sort of persuaded by this photographer to actually get in the ostrich in an aeroplane <laughs> that I'd never, <laughs> I'd never flown before. So what I did, he said, I said, well, I'll just taxi up and down the field. And, no, he, and finally he said, no, he said, I need to see daylight between you and the ground anyway. I thought he's not going to give up. So five minutes later, I'm actually 500 feet in the air <laughs> in an aeroplane <laughs> that I'd never flown before and never had a lesson and didn't know how to fly it. Oh, and I'm sitting on an ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this could end badly. And when the photograph came out in the Daily Mirror, it was about it was about an inch square. <laughs> it was this tiny little image of what could have been a moth or anything. Wow. So not um, worth risking your life for. Wow. I mean, yeah. So uh, so that was just that's that was the beginning of my flying career, if you can call it career, but never to be forgotten. Wow. And um you have got quotes on your book from Sue Pollard, Sue who we West. saw in London the other week, didn't we? We did. Oh, we wow. walked past her in London. She was wearing a black veil. <laughs> you, were looking, <laughs> you were looking to just walk past her. <laughs> <laughs> when we were in Vegas together, hey, how's that for a conversation? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> when you were in Vegas with Sue Pollard, yeah, with, yeah the, we we were all in Vegas in this big house, and um, and it was brilliant. There was Cannon and Ball and and Kenny Lynch and Anita Harris and Bobby. Cr it was fun. It was fantastic. But po Pollard used to come breezing in to the kitchen in the morning when we were all making breakfast, and and off she went at a hundred miles an hour, and we did we. We came up with a, a device to stop us speaking. We we invented a switch between her shoulder blades, and whenever we pressed it, she would stop in mid-sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a fantastic, like a huge villa in Las Vegas that, that ITV put us all in. And, um, like, and we had no idea what the... But it was obviously up for hire for a week or two weeks at a time. And one day there was a, a, a guy breezed in the back door and I think he was like, a, and he said something like, hello, he said, I'm the, I'm the owner. And Pollard said to him, hey, this house, what is it really? Is it a brothel? <laughs> and he went, he went, no, no brothel, party house. <laughs> and that's Sue Pollard, and bless it, yeah, yeah, so... Happy times with Sue, and she was kind enough to uh, say a few kind words about the book, as indeed was Johnny Vegas and uh, a few more of my my good friends. Yeah, and um, Joe Pasquale, King and Joe, Rat. Of course. Yeah, I I remember you telling me um, a very long-winded joke that you played on someone, which I it really stuck with me because you'd obviously spent so much time on it, where you 
somebody lived in another country and you got people in this country to walk past them carrying a particular carrier bag? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to freak them out that they would keep seeing this carrier bag? Oh, man. Yeah. Hilary O'Neill, my, my good friend Hilary, again, a great artist. She's now, she's now in management. <clears throat> she wanted me to sell her, her, com- her computer for her, uh, whatever it was, a laptop. But it hadn't got the hadn't got any leads with it. So at some point, she uh, met me somewhere in London, I think, and gave me this bag. It came down as a bag of leads, but it wasn't a normal bag. It was there's a special carrier bag that if you go if you dine at the Savoy Hotel in London, and there's twelve or thirteen of you, the thirteenth chair is occupied by this black cat, like for luck, you know. And they and and at reception at the Savoy Hotel, they've got a quantity of these carrier bags, and it and it de- it demeans them to call them a carrier bag. They're like a work of art. You've got this beautiful mm. image of a black cat on, and of course the leads from Hillary, Hillary O'Neill's computer were in this bag, and it became known as the bag of leads. So what I used to do, I used to post this bag all over the world, knowing that Hilary O'Neill might be performing. I'll give you an instance. Hale and Pace. I met Hale and Pace in Edinburgh when we when we were together. Oh. And they told me that they were going on tour with Hilary O'Neill to Australia and New Zealand and everywhere. So I sent him the empty bag. And <laughs> and she is... Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're at the airport in Sydney or somewhere waiting to come back waiting for a plane and um whichever one of them it was either hail or pace and said oh before before we get on the plane we've got something for you and she said what's that got this present for you and he reached out and he gave her the bag (laughs) the bag of leads on the other side of the world (laughs) and that was just one one instance and she was doing her act on the QE2 or some cruise ship in the middle of the Mediterranean on another <laughs> occasion. And she used to work with a few props. And when she turned round to pick up a prop in the middle of her act, on the prop table was this bag. This bag <laughs> of and, and so it went on. Wherever she was in the world, the bag of leads would, uh, would, uh, would turn up. So... The, these these are they need they kind of need explaining the, to the um, to the uninitiated I suppose but it's a it is a a kind of a strange kind of a strange sense of humour but but the, but it becomes I, I use the word obsessive again yeah Hillary and a bag of leads <laughs> so tell us Bernie about Mark Ratteray's jacket oh Mark Ratteray's jacket yeah. Mark, Mark and I, uh, Mark was a, a brilliant singer, probably still is. <laughs> and, um, but he's gone into, he's, he's actually a principal on a, um, he's a paramedic, Mark, and he's given up uh, being a, a singer. And he's now, in fact, there's a, one of those paramedic programs on television. I don't, I don't, might be Channel 4. He's on it all the time. Right. And, um, but prior to that, Michael, uh, Mark was a, um, Great singer. We did panto together 
in High Wycombe, and there was lots of japes. And I remember we had a we had a sort of a, a lottery, a sweep once, as to who could be the nearest to um, the, to the time when we got to the interval. You know, normally a, the first half of a panto is about an hour, second half is about an hour. Um, but we had a, we we all drew tickets out, and I drew out like the time of about 42 minutes where the, the prescribed time would be about 60 and the winner would win a, a fiver. But So I'd got my ticket, says 42 minutes. But because I was kind of on four or five times during the first half, I was able to race through. <laughs> I was able, I can't stop the phone, so I'll just... Um, Is that one of the crankies? <laughs> it could well be. <laughs> <laughs> The bag of leads. Yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway, so we, we did this uh, we did this thing, and I ran, I raced through the first half, so that the first half, instead of taking an hour, it, by the time we got to the interval, it was forty two minutes, and I was going to win the prize. But of <laughs> course, the lights went up for the interval, and everybody headed for the bar and the refreshments, and all the staff were in the were in the day room, I mean, a fag. And, and, <laughs> and suddenly they heard this noise, this rumble, and a thousand people were in the foyer saying, where's the drinks? Where's the ice cream? <laughs> and we got into so much trouble, got the biggest bollocking imaginable. Anyway, that was just an instance of the humour. But I was I, I was doing um I was doing a club the, later that year in North Wales. Uh, well, it was a hotel. In North Wales, it was called, it's called Bodwellerton Castle. Great, um, and I'd worked it about six months previously, and I remember um, I was on my own, and I realised as I was mucking about during my act that one of my shoes was a bit loose. I'd put the wrong socks on, and I, which I remember I remember thinking I was doing this bizarre rendition of Singing in the Rain, uh, do be do do do, and I realised that my left shoe was a bit loose, so I flicked it. Flick, flicked it really hard. The shoe flew off through the darkness and landed on somebody's table. <laughs> there was this kind of, this kind of <laughs> a rash, this enormous crash. My shoe, and there were four or five people having a meal. <laughs> <laughs> the shoe is in the middle of their table. Anyway, it, I, I only mentioned that because it was the same venue. I, I don't know how I got out of that trouble, but somehow I did. So I'm back visiting, and they said, oh, Mark Rattray was here um, uh, last night, and he left his jacket. Right. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I'm seeing him next week. He lied. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I take his jacket? They said, oh, that would be great. Yeah, because... So anyway, I think I said, I think we ought to... To, to ring him and tell him. So I got him on the phone and I said, hello, it's Mark, it's uh, this Charlie Farnsby. And I put this voice on and said, I'm the I'm the security manager at Bodwellerton Castle where you were here. And he went, oh yeah, yeah, it's Mark Jacket. I said, well, unfortunately, Mr. Rattray, I said, we had a, we had a, a, a fire uh, in the, in the office la last night. And I'm afraid along with other uh, valuables, your jacket has been completely destroyed. No, he said, my jacket. Oh, no. And I said, of course, uh, from an insurance perspective, 
<laughs> we were, this is an instant of cruel practical jokes. I said, from an insurance perspective, we need to know the value of the jacket. Oh, he said, hang on, I've got the re receipt. So he said, Tracy, have you got the receipt for my jacket? And it was about 300 quid. It was like a design, a black jacket. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got it here. He said, 300 pounds. And I went, 300 pounds? 300 pounds? He went, yeah. I said, well, the, the, the maximum value for article regarding our insurance is 20 pounds. <laughs> and he's having a heart attack. So finally, I put him out of his misery. But now I've got his jacket. So what I did, wherever I went in the world, I took his jacket with me. And I got all these people to wear his jacket while I took a photograph of them. And amongst the people, there were there was like um, Fatima Whitbread, the athlete. <laughs> <laughs> there was Tom O'Connor, the comedian. J Jim Bowen, the comedian. Um, I... I was I was doing a show with a with a horse, and I put the jacket on the back of this horse. <laughs> so I've got all these photographs of different people and animals wearing Mark Rattray's jacket. And then, <laughs> so it started, uh, you know, the letter with a, with a, a photograph. Uh, Dear Mister Rattray, my name is Tom O'Connor. Uh, I was recently on a cruise with Mister Clifton. And he sold me this jacket. <laughs> so I'm sending a photo. Could you um, could you get an idea of its value for insurance purposes? <laughs> and then, uh, then a, a week later, there'll be one from uh, <laughs> from from uh, Jim Bowen and Fatima Wynn, one by one over the weeks, and then one from a horse. <laughs> Just said, nay, 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 nay. <laughs> and then and that's right, my dog, my my, my lovely dog, uh, Ollie, Ollie the Collie, she wore it as well. So it was getting ridiculous. And in the end, in the end, I had to um I had to send him his jacket, but to make sure it didn't get lost, it cost me about 20 quid to insure it. That's the <laughs> irony in, in the post. About six months later, this is important, about six months later, late one Sunday evening, anyway, I'm driving through St Albans, and I passed a big sign, and it said, tonight at the Alban Arena, Mark Rattray, a screech for stop, went, yes. So I went to the front of the house, and I said to the man who, who knew me, because I'd worked there, I said, I'm a friend of Mark Rattray. So I said, could I, could I meet him? But he said, yeah, let's, he'll be off in about 20 minutes. Let's go and meet him backstage. So he took me under the stage, and I could hear Mark doing Nesson Dorma above us. And the, it was a long corridor, and Mark's dressing room door was open. And on the back of a chair was the jacket. <laughs> the jacket. I went, thank you, God. So five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes later, Mark was taking his applause at the end of Nesson Dorma. And coming down the coming down the centre aisle to the stage, carrying what looked like a bucket with a champagne in it, was a man wearing his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and all that Mark saw, all that Mark saw was the bucket with the bottle in, thinking, oh, oh gosh, he said, Oh, that's rather lovely. And as he took the bucket, with the champ, the alleged champagne in it, he clocked me and the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and he just collapsed. He just went, <laughs> and suddenly it became it became a gibbering wreck. It became hysterical, but he made the mistake of trying to explain what was going on to the audience because I'd gone. I did a. I was gone, and of course the audience went. What's he on about? <laughs> a minute ago, he was singing Ness and Dormer. It was beautiful. And now he's just burbling about a jacket. <laughs> so these are, these are important moments, I think. And, and, it, and hopefully I've related it. In, in the book, Crackerjack uh, to Vegas. Crackerjack. Crack in the book, I, I hope I've sort of um, painted a, a picture of the, of the of the nonsense, if you like, of uh, of my life and times. And is book is the book available in all good bookshops? The book is available from all good bookshops. You've you, you've used that phrase before. <laughs> um, it's a, it's available uh, on my website, bernieclifton.co.uk, and it's also available from the publisher. But what's the publisher's name? I hear you crying. What's the publisher's name? Let me tell. Let me tell you. If you live in a bungalow, what don't you need? I'll tell you what you don't need. You don't need a banister. And that's the name. <laughs> and that's the name of the publisher, Banister Publications. So there's no escape. There's no excuse for not uh, sussing it out. Amazing banister. <sighs> Um, as a final question, do you have any advice for any sort of? What do you mean? I, what do you mean? I'm going to. I'm going to die. Is this this is the last question you'll ever be asked in your life. Do you have any advice for any up and coming performers? Turns. Turns. Any up and coming turns? Mm, absolutely. What I would do is just get up there and do it. Stand up. Whatever you think you've got um, uh, um, uh, the nose for. Whatever you've got, don't deny just jump up and do it and if it's bad really bad take your breath and then do it again somewhere and then somewhere else do it again in a in a way i i was i was fortunate because i had a singing voice and i was able to get away with it uh, for a while and then the comedy just sort of inched its way in and i met the right people and i was given some great advice you know particularly as i said with Les Dawson, but there is no substitute for getting up, standing up, and doing it. Whatever's whatever that germ, if it is a germ, you just need to nurture it. It doesn't, doesn't matter how long it takes you or how painful you might think it is. You've got to get it out of your system. And the only way you can do that in our business, unless you're a writer, is write it and write it and write it, or perform it and perform it, is to do that in front of other people, and that is my advice. Get up and do it. Amazing advice. Thank you. And you could get up and do it at the Camden Fringe. Applications will open in January 2024. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, working with professionals, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe the way that that snuck in. <laughs> Even better than Crackerjack Cracker to Vegas from Bannister Publications. <laughs> <laughs> Make that climb. Hang on to the banister and buy now. 